Welcome to the America's 360 podcast. Get the inside scoop and the outside perspective on the latest developments from Canada, Latin America, and everywhere in between. America's 360 is a production of the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars. Hi, I'm John Molesky. Welcome to America's 360. This program is brought to you by the world's number one think tank for regional studies. And America's 360 is a collaboration among the Wilson Center's Argentina Project, Brazil Institute, Canada Institute, Latin American Program, and Mexico Institute. Well, the U.S. election has come and gone, but the incumbent has yet to concede at the hour of this reporting. President Trump is vowing to explore every legal avenue available. In the meantime, world leaders have been congratulating former Vice President Biden, who is now being called President-elect Biden by every major news outlet in the U.S. and beyond. And while the courts will hear objections and some recounts will commence, the vast majority of experts say there is no reason to expect that the results of the election will be overturned. Well, with all of that in mind, in this special edition of America's 360, we take a closer look at perceptions of the election across the Americas. What are their countries and their leaders saying? What implications, if any, are there for the U.S.'s image in the region? Our roundtable will discuss those questions and more. So let's first welcome back our regulars. Argentina Project Director Benjamin Gaden. Hey, how are you, John? Doing well, Benjamin. Brazil Institute Director Ricardo Zuniga. Hey, John. Hey, Ricardo. Also joining us, Canada Institute Director Chris Sands. Hi, John. Hey, Chris. Latin American Program Director Cindy Arnson. Greetings, John. Hi, Cindy. Welcome back. And Mexico Institute Director Duncan Wood. Hey, Duncan. Hey, John. And I should let you know that our group today is joined by two special guests. Uh, first up is Ernesto Londoña, who is the New York Times Brazil Bureau Chief. Hello, Ernesto. Hi. Also joining us, journalist and political analyst Ana Paula Ordeica, and she joins us from uh, Mexico. Hello, Anya. Hi. How are you, John? Nice to join you all. I'm well. Great to, great to have you on the program. So we have lots to talk about and lots of firepower on the panel. So to get things started, we're going to hand it off to Ricardo Zuniga. And Ricardo, take it away. Thanks very much, John. So thank you, uh, Ernesto. Thank you, Ana, for joining us uh, this afternoon. Ana, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with you. Um, obviously, Mexico, as uh, the largest trading partner of the United States, and neighbor uh, with such a close relationship, this election is uh, important in, in Mexico. I, I wonder if you could share some of your impressions of how the election in the United States is viewed from a Mexican perspective, uh, including with respect to the answer or uh, uh, non-answer uh, from mm -hmm. President Lopez Obrador regarding um, the uh, election. Well, for us in Mexico, U.S. elections are a very big uh, deal since uh, we have a joint uh, border. And we have so many topics that affect both countries that, uh, for example, the network I work for, Televisa, has been uh, not doing many journalistic um, endeavors for the past year, COVID and all the troubles that media is going through. But for the U.S. elections, they decided to do a really big um, thing that has had some of us journalists go abroad. Uh, I have been to Florida and now I'm in Georgia covering the election, but I have other of my fellow 
journalist friends that are um, in Delaware, others are in, in Nevada, in Arizona, I mean, Washington, everywhere. So it's, it's such a big investment that the company has done that I, I just want to portray how important the U.S. election is uh, for Mexican audiences. And something that probably should have uh, ended uh, being interesting if it were any other country on the day after the election, in this time for Mexican audiences, the U.S. election continues to be really important. And because of that, we, I mean, I feel that we have something very strange going on this time, and that is what the Mexican president wants is not exactly aligned with what is best for the country. Many of us that have studied U.S.-Mexico relations for some time are really perplexed at seeing that the president, López Obrador, has decided not to recognize and congratulate Joe Biden. What we feel is that uh, he has decided to give more importance to the next two months where Donald Trump will continue to be president than to have a bigger impact on the next four years that Joe Biden will be president. The take that I have on why the president decided to do this is that with Donald Trump, Andres Manuel López Obrador could do whatever he wanted in respect of fight against corruption or not, fight against uh, human rights violations or not, uh, democracy or not. So he could decide for himself how he would uh, deal with all these issues in Mexico. But the moment that a President Joe Biden is sworn in, this will change. I think the U.S. will expect more accountability, as has been in the past, in uh, drug trafficking uh, and drug-related uh, um, policies from Mexico, for example. And uh, the way that the president uh, has a relationship with U.S. investors. And there we can think of, for example, U.S. investments in the energy sector. He, Andres Manuel López Obrador has been able to do whatever he wants in these fronts while Trump is president. When a Biden presidency comes in, that I think won't be as easy for him. And uh, maybe having a rift with Biden so soon gives him an escape route to say that the U.S. has gone back to being this uh, the bad Yankee that has never been Mexico's friend. That's the only uh, the only explanation I find for him deciding not to congratulate President-elect Biden. That is a really interesting perspective that I think many Americans would not necessarily have picked up, and I think it has a lot to do with exactly as you say the importance of the relationship, but also the importance of the moment uh, in Mexico. Um, Ernesto, you're in Brazil. Uh, obviously, that's another very important relationship in the Americas. What's your overall impression of the perspective from there and from other uh, countries in South America regarding the events in the United States and their implications for the, for the region? Sure. Well, I think what we were all watching for initially was whether President Bolsonaro of Brazil was going to recognize a Biden victory. You know, he's the rare Brazilian president who had been openly rooting for President Trump's reelection. 
he has sought to cultivate a very, very strong relationship with, with the American president um, and, and really sort of anchored Brazil's foreign policy to, to the extent that there is a coherent Brazilian foreign policy in this day and age to, um, to being in lockstep with, uh, with uh, the Trump administration and more broadly with sort of the, the, the conservative political movement it represented. Um, and, you know, we're now several days uh, past the point when it became clear that, that President Biden, uh, Vice, President, Vice President Biden won at the election and is now the president-elect. Um, and there's been, I think, paralysis in Brasilia. Um, the executive branch has not really wanted to recognize the triumph and I think has been um, kind of scrambling to figure out how it moves forward. I think President Bolsonaro had been uh, living within an echo chamber of foreign policy advisors who are, uh, you know, big supporters of President Trump and who held out hope until the bitter end that he was going to somehow pull through. Um, beyond the presidential palace, I think we saw some pretty interesting reactions. Uh, Rodrigo Maia, the Speaker of the House, who's a, uh, you know, center-right uh, figure, um, you know, tweeted something that, I you know, I thought it showed, you know, a profound sense of relief and sort of cast the election as, as the restoration of liberal democracy. Um, you know, I think he used words and kind of had a tone that made it feel like, you know, like, like for many people in the region, this was more than the White House passing hands from, from one party to the other. Uh, you know, I think many people felt that another Trump term um, would have fundamentally changed, you know, the system of government of the United States and what it represents more broadly in the region, which is sort of an imperfect but model democracy that has served as, you know, sort of a, a model for many of the newer democracies in the Americas. Um, so I think what will be very interesting in the first few weeks of a Biden administration is to see how aggressively he moves on climate change and the extent to which it chooses to confront Brazil in doing so. Um, you know, the relationship in the lead up to the election has been a tense one. Brazil was a rare foreign policy issue that emerged during one of the debates, um, and it created sort of a very provocative back and forth between Vice President Biden um, and President Bolsonaro. And I think now we wait to see whether the two administrations are able to recalibrate, um, you know, find areas of, of sort of common interest and in, in mutual understanding and see if they can somehow, you know, see eye to eye on, on the climate front and, and sort of salvage what remains in, you know, in, in what is a robust um, but still somewhat anemic uh, uh, bilateral agenda. Excellent. Ernesto, I'm going to bring in our, uh, our other colleagues here who I'm sure have plenty of questions for you. Thanks very much for that. Duncan. Yeah, so I'd just like to come in, and I'd, I, it's a general point for both of our guests, which is that... Uh, I felt throughout this process that uh, abroad there is a, a lack of understanding of how the system actually works here in the United States. And uh, you know, in the case of Mexico, I think that what we've seen is we've seen a president who is very cautious, um, perhaps understandably so, about uh, uh, congratulating one of the winners uh, from this election um, because he fears that uh, if that doesn't turn out to be the final result, then... Uh, he will pay a price to some degree. 
But I've also seen that uh, throughout the Mexican media, and uh, you know, Anna Paula, I'd love to hear what you have to say about this. Is that I think that there is um, perhaps a, a failure to understand many of the peculiarities of the U.S. system, and to recognize that there is this deep and fundamental commitment here in the U.S. to counting every vote, to making sure that all the votes are legitimate, and to make sure that this is ultimately a, a legitimate result. I wonder if uh, if Anna Paula and perhaps you too, um, Ernesto, could speak to that about what you see as the the understanding abroad um, throughout the Americas of the U.S. system. Anna Paula, uh, Duncan. Well, I think probably uh, President Lopez Obrador does not fully understand what, how the U.S. Uh, system works, and I mean, I think many uh, people in the U.S. don't understand it either. It's a it's a complicated political system. But that is no excuse. He has a foreign secretary and the foreign secretary, from all we know, and the Mexican ambassador to the U.S., Ambassador Barcelona, told him that he needed to congratulate President-elect Biden. So uh, presidents don't know, uh, don't have to know the political systems of every country. And especially, I mean, I think you have to know a little about the U.S. political system being that we are neighbors and have so many interests uh, and topics that we have to deal with. But giving him the excuse not to know that, I think he decided to do what he did. And it has, it will probably cost uh, Mexico just, I mean, in the start, in the beginning, when Biden uh, assumes presidency, it will be uh, not that the very smooth entrance from one administration to the other that one would have expected. And I think we already had something uh, that was a, uh, a precedent that was not very positive, and that was that AMLO had gone to visit Trump during the electoral process last uh, July. So I think um, it, it, it's in, in football, you would call it unnecessary roughness. Benjamin? I would just, you know, note in defense of, of AMLO in this case, the you know, nature of the U.S. presidency right now, which is to say even the slightest, you know, insult to the pride of President Donald Trump could result in really dramatic actions that even within this short window to the transition could be damaging to Mexico's economy. And this is a president who has repeatedly threatened, for example, to shut the border um, be damned all the negative consequences for the U.S. economy. So I think in general, you know, most of Latin America sees the writing on the wall and I think correctly has taken the position that they want to firm up ties to the incoming administration. I think there's no excuse when it comes to Brazil. It's just reckless and amateurish diplomacy. I think with Mexico, I feel some, you know, empathy with the government that has to deal with such a provocative, unpredictable U.S. administration, even in its waning days. Cindy. What's really been impressive to me is is the keen level of interest throughout the region, if not through the entire world, about what's going on in the United States. Um, and I think also impressive is the degree of very detailed knowledge about how the U.S. political system works. I think a lot of people in Latin America, um, just colleagues and, and uh, observers of, of political processes are a bit astounded that we have a system in which the winner of the popular vote is not the winner of the presidency. So this um, um, institution that we have called the Electoral College, I think has a lot of people really puzzled 
um, as to the way democracy functions. But I also am impressed by the number of Latin American democracies who came out immediately and warmly embraced Joe Biden and, and Kamala Harris and expressed their, their keen interest in working with the United States um, in the next four years. And these are from um, conservative presidents as well. It's not sort of a conservative liberal thing. You have President Piñera in, in Chile, a center-right president, immediately coming out and not looking over his shoulder, wondering if he's going to offend President Trump. So the region has been very quick with these two very notable exceptions from the two largest countries, um, has been very quick to step forward and say, you know, bravo, and we want to develop a close working relationship. If, if I could jump in, one of the things that's interesting looking at, at this from a Canadian perspective, uh, Justin Trudeau famously had poor relations with President Trump. I mean, he, he kept them businesslike, but uh, the two had words. And he very quickly, once it looked like the majority of the press had, had confirmed that Joe Biden had won the election, reached out because having suffered a, uh, I wouldn't say near-death experience, but an almost collapse of his government earlier with a vote of no confidence on his um, on some legislation earlier this fall, he was quick to try to say, well, here's a new era. I already have relations with Joe Biden. I've been friends of his for a long time. Biden had come up to visit uh, Ottawa shortly after the election of Donald Trump to reassure the Canadians that uh, the U.S. would always be a partner. And it even said in a famous sort of public uh, speech, now on behalf of President Obama, we pass the torch of progressive leadership around the world to you, uh, Justin Trudeau, and to Angela Merkel until the Trump era is over. So, so in many ways, this allowed uh, Trudeau to consolidate and say, look, you may have threatened my minority government, but now I'm in, in good relations with, uh, with Washington to reinforce his own power. But within North America, it immediately made me wonder whether this past was also weighing on AMLO, because not once, but twice, he was nearly elected president, and the world sort of wondered whether they should recognize him, recognize the other leader. Maybe he's particularly sensitive to this question of foreign acknowledgement of, of who won until the process domestically has worked its way out. But I don't know Mexico well enough to know whether that's a factor or whether it wouldn't be a factor at all in the Mexican context. I think it would be a factor. But I think it's in, it's still no excuse. You're the president. Yeah, you you speak for a country, not for your filias and phobias. Ernesto, we we've talked a lot and so far. We've talked a lot so far about the potential you know negative relationships with a couple of key leaders in the region, principally over environmental issues, democratic backsliding, treatment of the news media. It, it strikes me there's a lot of enthusiasm elsewhere in the region, including in Argentina, for example which you cover for the Times, that the dynamics will change dramatically and there'll be new areas of collaboration with the U.S. because we've been so maniacally focused only on essentially Cuba, Venezuela, and stopping migrants from reaching the U.S. Is that a fair assessment of the views in the region? And do you think you know, that's a realistic take on what the next couple of years might look like? Yeah, I mean, I think you can certainly be up beat about imagining the potential of um, a Biden legacy in Latin America four years from now. Um, you know, I say that understanding that his priorities are obviously going to be domestic initially, um, and he may be, you know, jumping from crisis to crisis during during the early phase of his administration. 
But uh, former Vice President Biden spent a lot of time in Latin America as vice president. He logged many hours traveling through the region, putting out fires, trying to get initiatives off the ground. And he's spoken about the region with uh, a fair amount of optimism. And I think understands the region and its politics um, with a level of detail that is rare for incoming American presidents. Um, so I think, you know, I would watch a couple of things. Um, you know, one clear plan he has is to spend a lot of money, or propose spending a lot of money in Central America to try to sort of plant the seeds of a long-term solution to the migration problem. And I think if he manages to get traction, if he manages to make that a bipartisan initiative, if he shakes the money loose from Congress and, and manages to actually get traction on that, um, you know, that could be a really interesting model to watch, whether they get it right, whether they have enough time, and whether the local politics in those countries sort of allow for favorable outcomes remains to be seen. But, you know, I would watch that with, with great interest. Um, you know, they take the reins at a time when the Venezuelan crisis is still very, very complicated and is continuing to, to challenge its neighbors. Um, and whether they're able to um, bring new thinking to that problem and sort of, you know, bring the key stakeholder nations and governments in the regions um, into some sort of a framework of, of sort of a short and mid and long term approach to how they're going to deal with the different aspects of this. Um, you know, I think that will give us a sense of whether they're going to make the region a priority and whether they're going to have enough people who are smart and sophisticated and, um, and, and you know, fast on their feet to, um, you know, to start working on other issues that, you know, that this administration either ignored or failed at. Um, and, you know, the other reality is a lot of these economies be ailing. Argentina is in pretty rough shape. Uh, it probably will take any and all help it can get. And if the United States is able to come in and provide help, provide lifelines, provide fresh thinking, fresh ideas, um, you know, something constructive could come out of that. Um, I think more broadly, this administration will want to think um, differently about how it beats back at, at China's efforts to uh, become ever more influential in the region through the way it spends, um, you know, it, it, it invests um, and, and lends capital and, you know, um, and builds infrastructure. Um, and, you know, so far, I don't think any administration has really succeeded in making much of a dent in China's plans and designs on the region. Um, but I think Biden's advisors see this as, as an area that has been neglected for many years and would want to tackle it head on. I have a question for, uh, for both of you, Ernesto and Ana Paula. Um, and it has to do with you know, the relationship initially getting off on the wrong foot by a refusal to congratulate. But, you know, looking ahead to the period after the inauguration, what do you think, um, given these two leaders, um, AMLO and Bolsonaro, what uh, aspects of the bilateral agenda really have um, a chance of moving forward and, and showing some progress, whether it's deforestation in Brazil or um, you know, green energy or migration or security issues vis-a-vis uh, -vis U.S. Mexico. Well, I think um, trade would be the obvious uh, first uh, point where I could find convergence between uh, AMLO's agenda and Biden's agenda because AMLO has been talking uh, about the importance of U.S.-Mexico trade, and he tried to get NAFTA passed through 
Congress, the USMCA and the TEMEC, as we know it in Mexico. Uh, so I think that could that could be a positive uh, aspect. And I think migration also for, for US-Mexico relations. I think uh, Biden will have a very different, not only agenda, but rhetoric. And if AMLO is smart, he can capitalize on this new rhetoric and this new agenda to even say that he is worried about Mexico and living in the United States and that he's going to make it a priority in his relationship with the, with the next president. I think those two would be the obvious. I would love for him to be more interested in clean energies, but I don't think he will be. And um, I think... Uh, on security, yeah, we are off to a rough start because of uh, the recent detainment of um, the General Cienfuegos. He used to be the Secretary of the Defense under Enrique Peña Nieto's government, and he uh, this this put President Lopez Obrador in a tough spot with the uh, military in Mexico, which is uh, an arm of uh, where he has tried to uh, support much of his own national agenda. So I would love for that to be on the table, but I think it'll be difficult. Cindy, on Brazil, um, you know, I'm, I wouldn't hold my breath waiting for Bolsonaro to, um, to sort of lick his wounds and decide he's going to have a really good constructive relationship with, with the Biden administration. Um, but, you know, but I think with Brazil, the relationship is so broad um, and and is sort of rooted in in mutual business interests um, that there may be plenty of room to um, to sort of plant seeds of goodwill and cooperation that expand trade, create jobs, look at areas where where this there's synergy on on technology. Um, you know, I think on the Chinese issue, um, the United States and China are both vying very aggressively to um, to to see who is going to build Brazil's five G infrastructure. Um, and I, I, I would expect that under a Biden administration, uh, Washington will continue to, to press Brazil very strongly to steer clear from China. And, and Bolsonaro personally happens to have uh, a deep suspicion of China. So that may be an area where, you know, um, where there continues to be sort of policy synergy in, in both countries. Um, and on the climate front, I do expect turbulence, but I think there's enough interest now among other um, political factions in Brazil, but especially in the private sector, uh, to sort of start changing Brazil's brand under Bolsonaro as, as a climate pariah. Um, that there may be, you know, a willingness on behalf of either local governments uh, or, or the private sector to, to welcome, you know, uh, American-led or efforts uh, to to fund uh, conservation um, and to, to sort of try to steer Brazil away from its current course, which has been so destructive for the Amazon. If I can, I'd love to jump in just oh, with uh, a positive note about uh, um, just building off what Ernesto just said. You know, the U.S.-Mexico relationship, and this is kind of a truism, so I probably don't need to say it, but the Mexico-U.S. Uh, uh, relationship is just so important that uh, there will be every effort made to overcome any personal tensions, any awkwardness in that relationship, simply because we have to. Um, we depend upon each other so much. And if I could uh, end on a, on a kind of bright note, I see that there is real potential for collaboration between a Biden administration 
and uh, the Mexican uh, government on the on an issue which is important to both, and that is the issue of the fight against corruption. That's something that the Biden campaign identified. It's something that we know matters a great deal to Mexican President Lopez Obrador, and I'd love to see that uh, coming onto the bilateral agenda in a serious way. Um, I, if I can jump in also, I see another area of opportunity that hopefully with a uh, with Biden, uh, AMLO takes it, and it has to do with uh, trade. But since Biden, I think, will continue uh, in a more strategic way than what uh, President Trump has done to address uh, the differences it has in trade with China, uh, Mexico has an area of opportunity there. Many uh, academic uh, studies and many have been published that show how Mexico could uh, become uh, the, the best option for U.S. imports and exports of the trade that is lost because of, a, of the China uh, rift. So I think that could be also an area of opportunity. Well, it's always good to end on, a, on an update. And we are unfortunately out of time. Ricardo, thank you for driving during this uh, session of the roundtable. Thanks also to Cindy, Benjamin, Chris, and Duncan. And special uh, thanks to our, our two special guests, Ana Paulo and Ernesto. Thank you for being here. We hope we'll see you back on a future episode of America's 360. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover, perhaps a guest you'd like to hear from, if so, you can reach us via email at americas360 at wilsoncenter.org. We would love to hear from you. Until then, for all of us at the Wilson Center and America's 360, I'm John Molesky. Thanks for joining us. You have been listening to America's 360, a podcast about the innumerable ties among the nations of the Western Hemisphere. America's 360 is produced and edited by Oscar Cruz, Angela Robertson, and Mariana Sanchez Ramirez. You can subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. To learn more about our programs, please visit WilsonCenter.org. And please join us again next time for another episode of America's 360.